At North Point Community Church, we are passionate about helping our community move toward a life fully devoted to Jesus. And we hope this message helps you do that. Thank you for tuning in. Um, guys, I'm excited to be here this morning. I want to tell you guys, um, I have been in some pretty disgusting houses before. Yeah, some of you are thinking, has Jake ever eaten at my house? Has he eaten at my house? Right? No, I'm not talking about you guys, okay? Uh, if you've been hanging out with us before, you know that uh, I spent a little bit of time uh, as a claims adjuster down in Cincinnati. Um, my name is Jake, and they made me wear khakis. Therefore, yeah, all right. Thank you very much. Okay, so you know who I worked for. Um, yeah, part of my job was to show up at somebody's house after a broken pipe had like ruined all of the flooring or when a kitchen fire had taken down half the house or when uh, a sewage backup ruined everything because it's sewage, right? Like that was part of what I did. Whenever it was somebody's worst day, I would show up and look and see what was going on. None of these situations were nice and every single one of them was disgusting in some way. The crazy part about all of this was how comfortable I got with the disgusting. Like what happened when people's life, like their worst day that I would show up in and the things that they were going through, uh, as sad as they would be, their homes are covered in smoke and they just didn't know what to do with their lives. And I was like, yep, it's Tuesday. Okay, right, like that was just my life. I was so used to being in the disgusting that there was only ever really one house that got to me. One house that like sticks with me and bothers me. And I, I vividly remember walking up to this small house that had a small kitchen fire. Nothing huge. A little bit of smoke damage, a few appliances, things like that. And when I drove up to the house, it looked normal from the outside. When I walked up to the front door, everything felt normal. I had been to 100 kitchen fires before. So, you know, I walk in and, you know, there's a weird smell. That's, you know, pretty normal. Things are a little messy. That's you know, pretty normal. There's some smoke damage. Well, that's what I'm here for. This is all normal things that go on. And so I decided, you know, I'll just set up my computer and I'll get measurements and do what I need to do. So I got my laptop there. It's all set up. I get my uh, measuring tape and I measure the first measurement wall there. And I go back to my laptop and I'm going to type it in. And as I'm typing, I see a small black fleck fall into my laptop. I'm like, that's new. So I keep typing and then I see this small black fleck crawl out of my laptop. Well, that's new. <laughs> so I, it caught me off guard, and so I decided, you know, I, what's going on here? So I, I just for the first time, I had been on autopilot that entire time. So I step back, and I look, and I, and I realize that all across the countertop and up and down the walls are bugs. And that these walls have a really yellow hue to them. And there's this rotted food on the counter and in the kitchen sink. And there's some crusty laundry all through the living room down the hallway and that weird smell is getting stronger and stronger, and it's definitely not smoke anymore. And now there are bugs crawling on my shoes. I wrote the fastest repair estimate I have ever written in my life. I ran out of that house, got in my car, drove straight into the garage, stripped off all my clothing, put it into a garbage bag, walked naked through my house, put all my stuff back into the washing machine, put it on the hottest setting I could, took the most thorough shower of my entire life, and when I was done, I just contemplated getting a new job, okay? Like, I was used to disgusting, but this house was so bad because all of this disgusting had been neglected for way too long, 
See, we're working through this NT90 series here. We're kind of in our last month of going through the New Testament in 90 days. We've got the version study. Hopefully you followed along with that uh, and are learning some great stuff, maybe even some great questions. And you're just seeing how Jesus is moving in the New Testament. You're seeing Paul's teachings and all these writings of the letters that we've gone through and talking about Jesus. And you're recognizing not only did he do incredible things then, but he's still doing incredible things in our lives today. Uh, this week, if you've been reading with us, we've gone through uh, four letters to four different churches from Paul. And, and just a little bit of context, so if you uh, can be caught up on our reading here. Uh, Ephesians was written to the church in Ephesus. Uh, Paul wrote not necessarily because they had any issues or anything that was going on. He just wanted to encourage them to be unified and live out their calling for Jesus. And then uh, we read through Philippians, which was written to the church in Philippi. This was actually the first church that Paul had established in uh, Europe. And they're thought to have been a really healthy church. And so Paul is letting them know what spiritual progress is supposed to look like in a Christ follower's life. Uh, then we get to Colossians. Paul wrote this to the church in Colossae uh, because they were dealing with a dangerous uh, a teaching, a dangerous teaching in the church. And Paul wanted them to know, hey, that's not the right thing. We don't know exactly what it was, but they would have been very aware of what Paul was talking about in this time. Uh, and then we wrote, read through uh, 1 Thessalonians. This is one of the two letters to the church in Thessalonica that we have uh, from Paul's writing. And he's just writing to them to clarify for the hope that we have in Jesus' return one day. And what that means for us now as well as uh, what it's going to look like and mean for us in the future too. So uh, hopefully you've been encouraged from your reading. Come up with some great questions and find some great answers. Create a great conversation for you. Helped you grow a little bit closer to Jesus. But today we're going to jump into Colossians chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, uh, if you've got your North Point app, it'll be on there. Pop that open. We're going to jump into Colossians chapter 3. And we're going to talk about this principle or this idea of, of killing the old guy and dressing the new. Killing the old guy and dressing the new. So uh, follow along here this morning. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to start at the very beginning here in verse 1. Paul wrote this. He said, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Man, Paul is writing to the church in Colossae here, letting him know that, hey, as Christ followers, because of what Jesus has done, because of us seeking and following after him, man, Jesus changes our entire perspective. He says to set your mind on things above, meaning, hey, guys, it's not about gaining for the here and now. It's not about what we've got going on right now, but instead it's about recognizing the things that God actually values and pursuing those things. That the truth is, for so many people, this life is the best that it's ever going to get. Like This is the highlight of their existence, that it's about gaining influence or money or power or prestige or climbing a ladder. But Paul is saying, look, it's not about those things, guys. What matters here is to focus on the things that actually matter to God, to play for the long game here on things that are eternal and what matters to Jesus. And these would be things that actually relate to the benefit of other people. These are things like justice and truth and compassion and peace. All the things that we see Jesus taught about, all the things that we see from Jesus' life, the way that he lived out these things, these are the things that matter to us because Jesus is our life now. And as a result of Jesus being our life, we get to share with them one day and future glory. But in the meantime, 
we got to focus and care about the things that matter most to him. And to do that, we got to kill the old guy and we got to dress the new one. So it's this kind of idea as we're going to read on here. Uh, you're going to see it's this idea of you are, now be. You are, now be this way. So verse 5, we'll keep on reading here. Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you've put off the old self with its practices. Paul's pointing out here, he's saying, hey guys, recognize, uh, you're not that guy anymore. You're not that guy anymore. That old you would fit in really well with this world. Old you would fit in really well with this world. We see how sin makes us look. We've been worn out by wanting and desiring the things that aren't ours anymore. We've put an identity that just doesn't quite fit who you are. We've covered ourselves in desires that have left us feeling unsatisfied or out of place, right? With Jesus being the center of their life, you don't, you don't fit that guy anymore, right? I know I haven't acknowledged him right now. That's making some of you feel a little weird, right? That's okay. I'm actually, he's a lot closer than he was at 830, so I'm getting used to it too, okay? That's all good. But the reality is we're not this guy anymore. It doesn't fit. It doesn't look good on us. It's not comfortable, there's a part of us that at one time was disgusting, but the reality is what Paul's telling us, it's time to make a change. It's time to make a change in our lives. See, the hard truth is that we've got to actually kill that guy. Not that guy, but like an old guy, okay? Just want to make sure. Right? Some of you are like, what is Jake doing here? Okay, it's all good. We've got to kill that old guy because we're not him anymore. We're different now. We've got to take some serious steps. Paul, Paul tells us here what, what we do is sin, and that's, that's drastic. He says, kill it. We're dead to it. That is a Christ follower. We have to take seriously and not be that person anymore. We have to view sin very seriously in our lives at times. We've got to take dramatic steps to get rid of the things that are in our life that put a barrier between us and God because it's not supposed to be there anymore. Jesus took that barrier away. So we've got to get rid of the things that keep, keep trying to come up the things that Jesus died to take our penalty for, the things that we have to be aware of. And we've got to get rid of in our life. Now look, we know that God's grace covers all of our sin. As Christ followers, when Jesus is the Lord and Savior of our life, it covers the past, the present, and the future. And look, we're going to do dumb things again. Like that's just part of this, this sin cycle that we are caught in. We are going to continue to do things anymore. But that's not an excuse to be the old us anymore either. Like God's grace is sufficient, it covers, it's great, but it's not an excuse to be that guy anymore. When Jesus is our life, we die to the old and we put on something new. Very simply put, guys, you are not that guy anymore. So be done with him. You are not that guy anymore. So be done with him. Paul goes on in the next several verses to talk about putting on uh, three separate things, and we're going to kind of comb through them here. The first one that he says to put on is to put on the new self here in verse 10. He says, and have, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. 
as Paul's talking here about putting on this new self, he kind of hits on a couple principles, I think, that, that, that can really stick out for us. In this first one in verse 10, he's talking about this idea of sanctification, which is really just a fancy way of saying that the more we know Jesus, the more we begin to imitate him. The more we know Jesus, the more we become like Jesus. And he says the way that we accomplish that, the way that we become like him is through the renewing of our minds after the image of its creator. In other words, we have to change our mindset. We have to change and gain knowledge. Whoa, how you doing? We have to change and become more to who Jesus created us to be. How do we do that? What steps do we take to actually renew our mind or to become more like Jesus? I think there's a few very practical things. Uh, number one, and it's kind of what this whole NT90 series has been about, it's studying the Bible. Studying the Bible. It's taking time and priority in our life to be able to say, hey, look, this is the word of God and it, it's good to change me. It's alive. It's breathing. It's moving. It cuts to the core. It gives me the encouragement. It, it rebukes me when I need rebuked. I, I need to be in it. I need to be in it. So maybe you started this study with us. You started the reading plan. You faded out a little bit. It's all good. Jump back in. Start a new one. Start small if you have to. Get into the Bible. Like, read it. It is God's message to us. We have to make it a priority. Like, we have priorities in our life for, for entertainment, for our jobs, for sleep, for eating, unless you're my daughter, because she's like, that's not a priority for her at any time, okay? Like, no sleeping, no eating. What's a priority for, priority for her is, like, horseyback rides on daddy's back, even though I'm trying to take a nap on the floor, right? Okay, I'm a little bitter right now, guys, okay? But here's the thing. We have to make priorities in our life. We have to dive into the word of God because it changes us. It renews our mind. Another thing that we can do simply is, is prayer. When we stop and think about it, like we have access to talk to the creator and maintainer of the entire universe. And he wants to talk to you can do anything, and he wants to talk to you. I don't even want to talk to some of you guys, and yet Jesus wants to talk to you. That was a joke. I'm kidding, right, mostly. But here's the thing. Jesus truly cares. Like, if you have teenagers or have had teenagers in your life, they hit this phase where they go from 12 to the 13 all the way to, like, 18, and it's not even like you're in the house anymore for some reason. Like, just completely tuned out. Like, you know what's going on in their life. Like, you know they ate lunch. You know they went to school. You know if they're in a sport or a club or those kinds of things. But you still want to talk to them. You still want to know, like, what's it actually doing in your life? Like, what's it mean? They may know those things, but you want to know them. In the same way, God may be uh, all-knowing, but he still wants to know you. He wants to hear from you. He wants to talk to you. And we have access to God to talk. The thing about relationships is they're a two-way street. And we're just not jumping in and driving into that conversation with him. We want to renew our mind, man. Jump into the word of God. Spend time talking to God and watch as it begins to transform your mind, transform your thinking. I think the other thing that we can simply do is worship. Worship. Sing. Take communion. Be still. Admire. Dance. Breathe. Create. There are so many things we can do to worship God, the Lord and King of all existence. In fact, the how is really secondary to the who and the why behind our worshiping. That when we stop and we acknowledge the, the greatness and the glory of God, man, it humbles us. And it draws us in more to the image of 
of our creator as we take time to truly look at his glory and his majesty and his awesomeness that is our God. And when we spend time studying his word, when we spend time talking to him, and when we just step back and worship him, he renews us. We begin to clothe ourselves in a new us, a new being, a new self. I think in verse 11, Paul moves into kind of an important principle about putting on this new self, uh, and that's this idea of community. That pursuing Jesus is indeed a communal affair, not just individual. Now, now yes, there are individual aspects of our relationship. Like We have a personal relationship with God through Jesus and his spirit, but God did not create mankind to be alone. He created mankind to be communal, that Adam needed Eve, that when Jesus started his ministry, he chose 12 guys to hang out with him. The church was created to be a community. Man, this is why we think life groups are so incredibly important. Because you need people that are going to encourage you. You need people that are going to smack you upside the back of the head when you're doing the wrong thing. You need people that are going to say, do you see this opportunity over here? You need people that are going to cry with you on a bad day. You need people that are going to punch walls with you on the things that are most frustrating in your life. We need people. We need people. It's also why, man, when you can, in-person worship is so important because we need people to do life with that it's a communal thing, that the church is a giant, diverse, and global community. And it reaches across racial and national and gender and social and economic lines and so many more. And it unites people in their worship and pursuit of the one true and living God of all existence. That in this room, we have different opinions. We root for different teams. We vote differently. We think differently. We prioritize differently. But we have one God that unites us and draws us together. And what unites us is stronger than what divides us because what unites us is him. Don't pursue Jesus by yourself. It's not designed to be that way. And when we do it that way, we wind up with less than what's available to us. And that's a community that is going to encourage, that's going to stand by, that's, that's going to advocate, hold accountable, and push you to be more to the image of your creator. You need the church. We need each other. Simply put, you are new. So be a part of the church. You are new. So be a part of the church, putting on the new self means putting on a community of believers that is pursuing a life reflective of the changes that Jesus is making in our lives. And with this new self then becomes new values. New values. And that's what Paul talks about here next. He says, verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Paul's saying, hey, this new you becomes uh, a living advertisement of what God's grace does in human lives. That all the people in your life get a view of who Jesus is by the values that you hold on to. He gives us a list here that's similar to the fruit of the Spirit that we talked about last week uh, in Galatians chapter 5. He says, man, have compassion. That simply means having sympathy and mercy for the pain that other people are going through and experiencing. 
have kindness. It's a gracious sensitivity towards others that is triggered by a genuine care for the, their feelings and desires. Or humility, which, which pulls back the reins on this never-ending quest to, to rise above others no matter the cost. And instead, it moves us to a place where we serve without any need for recognition. He talks about meekness, or another way of calling it is gentleness. And, and I love this because this allows us to give criticism that is received as help and not condemnation. Or patience. Uh, patience endures when we've been wronged. And it doesn't, it doesn't look for revenge against those that hurt us. And, and similar, there's forgiveness, which is a willingness to just not hold a wrong against anybody, just as Jesus hasn't held those wrongs against us. See, if we look through that list, we can be honest, these things are just not readily available in our world right now. That our leaders, our social circles, our media, our world, it's not in a place of compassion or kindness or humility or forgiveness. That as a society, we are, we're quick to judge in the court of public opinion. And we are quick to cast out anybody who seems to step out of line. And when punishment has to come, it's got to be quick and severe that's not the values that you and I are called to hold on to. As Christ followers, we've got to look dramatically different than the world around us today. That you and I have to be slow to judge. We've got to be slow to cast other people off. And we've got to be lavish with our grace and forgiveness. That we've got to champion other people to be so much better than ourselves. And we've got to endure in those times where we've genuinely been wronged. This is the model that Jesus showed us and that the world so desperately needs to see that if we indeed want our family, our friends, our co-workers to get a glimpse of who Jesus truly is. Simply put, you are changed. So be different than what is common. You are changed now. So be different than what is so common in the world around us. And all of these things can make an incredible difference in the world, but they're absolutely useless without one thing. Paul talks about it in verse 14. He says, and above all these, put on love, which binds together, or binds everything together in perfect harmony. Literally interpreted, this means, which is the bond of perfection. I think that's beautiful. One commentator, as I was reading through this, he put it this way. He says, love is not simply a further item brought alongside the others. Rather, it is the source from which all those qualities hitherto mentioned derive their existence. The idea being that love is the crux and the power of all the other values mentioned. That you cannot have real compassion or kindness or humility or patience or gentleness or forgiveness without coming from a place of loving someone else. Otherwise, it's just not real. It's done out of obligation or social pressure or a desire to gain something if it's done without love. That we can't be made new without Jesus. And at the very center of our relationship with Jesus is love. The love that you get from Jesus is then to be transferred to all of those people, all of those that he's placed in our lives, that this new you is somebody who has received and is then able to give love generously. 
Paul encourages us to put on a new us. He says, look, the old you is gone. It's dead. And when we acknowledge Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, the old us has died with him on the cross, and the new us has been raised with him and his resurrection. And the truth is, this change that occurs in us, man, it's not overnight. It's an ongoing process where where our view of the world changes, our desires change, our goals change, our attitudes change change and so much more about us begins to change that instead we begin to move towards a life fully devoted to Jesus and in place of what wasn't fit what was beat up and worn out what had covered us in pain and emptiness is now replaced with something new looking good is that a pocket square man I'm jealous I've never had one of those right the old is gone we've put on something new that fits with who Jesus is, that is tailored to imitate Jesus, that covers us in the presence and his spirit and his image, that you are made new in Christ. So be new in how you live. You're made new in Christ. Be new in how we are to live. So then where do we start with that? If the old guy's dead and I'm supposed to be new and I'm supposed to value things differently and I'm supposed to love, like, that's a lot. Like, how do I do that? What what can I actually do? And I think the truth is just start where you're at. Start at home. Start at work. Start in your social circles. Start anywhere because, as we said before, there's a lot of brokenness in this world. Those values are not seen in this world. So recognize that, man, we've been given an incredible love by Jesus and we can just give that away too. So what I would encourage you, like, take this week and just love somebody like you've never loved them before. Blow your spouse away with the compassion and kindness that they're not even sure what you bought or how expensive it was because you're just so kind, right? Like, blow them away with that. Tell your kids, like, give some humility and gentleness and patience with your kids. That'll confuse them. (laughs) Here's the thing, that moron online or that idiot coworker, just give them forgiveness anyway. No, they don't deserve it. So what? Just give it to them anyway. Why? Because we can love lavishly because we've been given incredible love by Jesus, and we're not that guy. We're new. We're new. Another tool, man, we want to give you guys a, a tool to help you like with this this week. And, and so you guys saw the, the car shared an incredible video and I love it because we said, hey, just tell us about the things, incredible things that Jesus is doing in your life. And they're like, we got nothing. <laughs> like it's just a bunch of small stuff. And I think that's so true for, for so many of us. Like there are big moments where Jesus moves in our lives and there's small moments where he's doing things that are just everyday stuff that we just gotta stop and recognize that like he's working in that. It's not just these big moments, but it's everyday little moments that Jesus is doing stuff. And the truth is, we don't always recognize it because we don't stop to recognize it. And there are so many people that need to be encouraged by how Jesus is moving in our life. And so we've created this Share Your Story uh, tool. And it's on the North Point app. It's on the website. We're creating a room for you to be able to go and, and tell your story to an iPad. Like, we're all used to talking to screens because we've spent the last year doing it, right? So what it is is we want you guys to share your story of how Jesus is moving in your life. And that's it. What is Jesus doing in your life? And what it's going to do is it's going to cause a few things. Uh, our vision right now as a church is own, see, share. Everyone who calls North Point home, seeing how Jesus is moving in their life and sharing that within their sphere of influence. 
it's going to help you to see that Jesus is moving in your life because you have to stop and think, what is my story? What is Jesus doing right now? Not necessarily the mission trip that I was on 10 years ago or the change that he made in me five years ago, but like right now, what is he doing in my life? And you get to see that. And you get to see that God is he's making you new, that your values have changed, that your love has changed. And then by telling your story, man, you get the opportunity to share it with people who need to hear it. Because you have people in your life that they need to hear change as possible. They need to hear about compassion. They need to hear about gentleness. I need to hear about compassion and gentleness and love. So we'd encourage you, man, check that out on the app. Check out this room. Look on, look on the website. And take a moment. Share your story. Reflect on what it means for you and somebody else that needs to hear it as well. I've been in some disgusting houses. Bugs, smoke, fire, water, sewage, you name it. I have visited some people on their absolute worst days to see what happened. That was just my life. Every single day. But every once in a while, I'd get a call to go back and look at a house that had been fixed. What was once disgusting, a place that you would never want to live in, had now been made new. That somebody had come into that house and they had taken all that was broken, all that was damaged, all that was neglected, all that was disgusting from it, and they replaced it with things that are new. What was once hard to live in was now beautiful again and restored that these disgusting houses were once again homes for people where they could live full lives together. Here's the thing. Jesus comes into our disgusting. And he takes everything that's broken, everything that's damaged, everything that we may have neglected, and he makes it new. And because of that, you're not that guy anymore. You no longer live in a place characterized by lust or or selfishness, or lies, or addiction, or anything else that just leaves you feeling disgusting. As followers of Jesus, we're made new. We have a life that seeks things that Jesus loves, characterized by compassion, and kindness, and humility, and patience, uh, and forgiveness. This is all a part of who you are, and what you're constantly striving to become more like. This is the new you that the world so desperately needs to see so that they can begin to recognize that change is possible. That Jesus takes the broken and makes it restored. So guys, here's the encouragement. You are new. So be like Jesus. You are new. So be like Jesus. Let's pray together. Father God, you are incredible. <laughs> that love, God, is, is, is just mystifying that you care about us so deeply, that you don't leave us broken and disgusting and damaged and neglected, Father, but you, you get rid of that inside of us and you make us new for our benefit, for your glory, God, and so that those in our lives will be impacted to desire you and know you more. God, we praise you for that. We surrender more to you, Father, just trusting and putting on the new. Just trusting in the love that you have for us. We love you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Mm-hmm.